whoever's editing this service, edit this part out. You guys are a better looking crowd than the 9 a.m. <laughs> just are. So you're packed in there tight, which is awesome. If you're kind of still like stuck from three years ago and you don't really like being surrounded by people, I got a thought for you. 9 a.m. It, it is not a problem at the 9 a.m. service. We're so glad uh, you're here. We're continuing this series that we're calling Best Year Ever with a question mark because we don't really know if it's going to be. And last week we launched that. We gave you five things that we're hoping really become part of your year. And I'm going to review those real quick just to get everybody on the same page. We talked about changing the timeline. We're not trying to win the year. We're not trying to win the month. We're just trying to win the day. Sometimes it's just win the hour. Uh, we talked about letting go of the control myth. You'd have much less control over 2024 than you wish you did. We talked about making Jesus the hero of your story. We talked about all behavior change that, that is lasting, flows out of identity change. We talked about living a lifestyle, not a list, and which is funny because I'm going to give you a list today. Um, but it's not a New Year's resolution list, but it's a list as we talk about relationships, not just marriage, but relationships, right? All of relationships, whether you're young or married or all that, we got something for you uh, today. I'm, I'm in a season, so as many of you know, I had a stroke in November 2022, and 2023 was just a really hard year. So we're in our basketball season, so every away game that we have, like we had, we were in two gyms this, this last week, and I'm remembering what it was like the year prior to be in that same gym. It's just night and day. So I feel like God's bringing me to a season where I'm reflecting on what he's brought me through that I didn't even realize at the time. It's just night and day, my 24 versus my 23. So as I reflect on the year that we've had as a church, 2023, just such an amazing year. It was a hard year in a lot of ways for me personally, but for our church. And I was just thanking God the other day. I was just remembering what happened here in September. It was our ninth birthday, and we installed our first uh, group of elders and the blessing of that for me and for the church. And if you were here that day, my, my mentor, uh, Dean Troon, flew in from Arizona. He's like a spiritual father to me, and he did part of that service. And he spoke to uh, the elders and the elders' wives about our marriages and the importance of that. And if you remember, if you were here, he said he's had the same goal for like 25 years. At the beginning of every year, he makes the same goal, resolution, whatever you call it, he says, to make that, that year the best year of his marriage ever, right, which is a beautiful goal if he would just stop there, but he added three more words, and I've heard him talk about this many times, he adds three more words, that it'd be the best year of his marriage ever from her perspective, and her is his wife, Bonnie, and that makes it a completely different target, and that, uh, I'm not a big resolution guy, we talked about that last week, but um, that, that is my target for 2024 for me personally. Um, I don't know if it'll be the best year ever of our marriage. This is our 27th year of marriage, Kelly and I. Um, thank you, thank you. See, they don't clap for that stuff at the 9 a.m. They're just not, they don't care. I don't know if it'll be our best year ever, but it's gonna be better than 2023 as a marriage. It's gonna be. So we'll, t we'll get into that. Let me start with some crowd participation, which we really like here. If, you don't, if you're new with us, that's welcome. It's a true or false. You like those? The strength of a church is only as strong as its marriages. True or false? I love it when you guys disagree. We got some falses and some truths. So meet in the lobby and argue it out. No? No, we're not doing that? 
we can we can fight. It's, that's how we grow is disagreement. So it's kind of a trick question. Um, there's some truth in it, but it's narrow, right? We've got some leaders at Relentless Church that are not married. So what are they supposed to do with that? Well, I'm a leader, so the strength of the church I have no input in because I'm not married. So there's so there. It is true if your leaders are married and all of ours are not. We just need to remember more than United States. We all are in this. More than half of the United States of America is not married. So that's the majority of our culture. And part of that's because a bunch of babies running around that aren't married. But even if you take the little ones out, the trajectory, the trend lines show us that we're 10 years or so away from the if you, 18 and up, the majority will be not married, whether that's single, never married, remarried, uh, or widow, divorced, whatever. So um, the strength of a church is only as strong as the spiritual health of the leaders. And in a healthy church, some of those leaders are not going to be married, just statistically. Now, what I will say is the spiritual health of leaders in a church that are married, that spiritual health is best seen in their marriage. That part is true, but it's it's tricky um, because we have a problem, church. Let me just stand up and tell you about a problem before I can get mad at you. Um, we got a problem, and it's not just our church. It's across the board. I think we're maybe okay with this, but we, we have a problem with how we view and talk to and talk about single people, right? So if you meet somebody for the first time, which I hope you have today, and, and, and they're, you know, whatever, middle-aged. I don't know. How old do you have to be to be middle-aged? No, I'm not. I'm over. I'm past middle age. I'm right in the smack dab middle of my life. I'm dying at 97. So I'm not even halfway home. Um, so if you meet somebody that's middle age, whatever your definition of that, and you find out that they're not married, sometimes our reaction is like somebody just told you they got diagnosed with cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. Hang in there. Hang in there. It'll be all right, single people. Hang in there. Like, oh, man, I wonder what's wrong with them. Like, look at how old they are. They're single. And you don't know their story. The biggest problem with that is this book I got. It's called the Bible. The biggest problem with that is God's view of single people is he says that he handpicked some people as a blessing and as a calling to singleness. He calls some people. In a church our size, some people are going to be called by God. Just like if we had somebody up here that was going to Uganda to serve as a missionary, we would love on them and pray them up. Some people are in the same way that missionaries are called, are called to a life of singleness. The Bible is very clear on that. Now, if you're single, sometimes that's for a season. Sometimes that's for the rest of your life. It is not a, a sentence. It is not a punishment. It is from God. It is a blessing. And we want to embrace that. We want to talk to people that are not married, not like there's something wrong with them, but like that they're a blessing, that we need their perspective in our church, and that God has called them, perhaps, at least in this season, to be single for whatever reasons. So we got to change the way we talk. And I'm learning this, too, because when I talk to you guys, don't be scared. If I have a conversation with you on the phone or in person, that I'm going to preach about you. I don't, I don't use names. I just use stories so that people will still talk to me. And not like, you're not going to say that, are you? So uh, uh, we were, here's the truth. The original intent of this month was to do a whole series on marriage. We're going to start January off, right? We need some marriage stuff. So we're going to do a whole month on marriage. And then we change. And this conversation is part of why we change. So there's a young woman in our church um, that I'd heard through a mutual friend, you know, that, that felt like sometimes churches can skew too far to, like, marriage 
people and make other, and she's married herself, so I just thought, I need to talk to her, so I, I set up a phone call, and she was gracious to talk, and, um, you know, she was kind of sharing her perspective, and I was listening, and I heard that, and I said, here's what, here's what you would have no way of knowing. We have marriages at Relentless Church that are struggling. The pandemic was really hard on marriages. I don't think we can blame it on the pandemic. I think the pandemic just exposed some things. We got some marriages that didn't make it through the pandemic. And so what you would have no way of knowing is we just got some tough things going on in our church and our marriages, and we haven't talked about it much. The pandemic was crazy. We haven't done a marriage series um, since we were online only in the pandemic. And I just feel a burden as a pastor. Like, we got to help people. We got to get some stuff fixed because I know, I know this about marriage and any relationships. If you leave it on autopilot and do nothing, it never gets better. So I just felt this burden. Like, we got to speak to this. And, and this woman so... So graciously, she was full of grace. She said, you really think you can fix people's marriages in a one-month marriage series? And I had just preached a couple weeks ago about the freedom that I have as a preacher, that I don't have to fix people. I'm not able to anyway. And she, she made this statement. I remember exactly where I was sitting back here in this room when we had this phone conversation. She just said, marriage is so complicated. For singles, for divorce, there's so many layers to it. It's just a conversation that seems like it'd be better with a dialogue than a monologue. I was like, how offensive is that? Monologue's what I do for a living. But that's all, I do monologue at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., we get to, we do a dialogue, right? You're with me, you talk to me, if you disagree, which you might disagree with some stuff today, and that's okay. But we're gonna, we're gonna help. I don't think that I can fix anybody's marriage, right? I don't do marriage counseling. I'll meet with you, I'll shake my head. Really? They said that? Okay. I'll pray for you, and then I'll get you to a counselor that is a professional, right? We're so blessed as a church that has to have counselors in each service in the room, people that I trust that can help you. God can help you through a message. God can help you uh, through counseling. You need counseling. I don't need to know you to know you need counseling. We need that. So we talk about being a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. Part of the centering on the gospel is no matter the conversation, we're going to come back to that. We define it as the incredible news of our rescue and adoption by God through Jesus. We're a church with a heart for people that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And sometimes the hardest thing is talking about that rescue. It, here's an example. I offended some people first service. Somebody came up to me and said, that was offensive. And I was like, that's, if I didn't offend, I didn't preach. But I made fun of camping people, people that go camping and call it fun, right? I called them, first service, I called them weirdos. I'm sorry. Um, but imagine you were camping. I'm, I'm not trying to put you in a bad mood. But imagine you're camping, and in comes these EMT people, and they're, they, they just landed their helicopter. You heard the noise. They come to your campsite. They load you up. They take you away. You're like, what are you doing? We're rescuing you. We're flying. And as you fly away, you see this raging uh, forest fire that's coming quickly toward your campsite. All of a sudden, what was extremely offensive becomes, you know, thank you. Right? It's the same way. With, uh, with spiritually, it's the same way. Uh, it's hard to, and we have to talk about sin and, and why we need Jesus because you have a problem. You need rescue. I, and that's, I don't have to know your story. All I have to know is that you're human. I think 100% of this crowd is human. I think about the next generation of young pastors. You guys know in our lifetime, we're going to have to figure out, is that a human or is that a robot? in our services. We're going to have to figure out, do we baptize robots? Do they have artificial intelligence to make a decision for Jesus? That's the next generation. They're going to have to figure that out. For me, I'm convinced all of you in this room are human, and if you're human, I know that you have a problem 
that you've rebelled against your God. Your sin has separated you from God, and you're in need of rescue, and God loved you so much that he knew you would need that rescue, and he sent Jesus because there would never be a human that didn't need that rescue. That's what brings us together. Now, that's spiritually. In relationships, friendships, courting relationships, marriages, all of the above, sometimes the hardest part is you come to something like this, and like, hey, I'm, I'm good there. My relationships are good. My friendships are good. My marriage is good. Sometimes you don't know that you need rescue. And that's the hardest piece, right? So we're hoping that God maybe humbles some hearts to help you see that, that, that you need um, something that you didn't realize you need. And that's humbling. If you come in here thinking, we're doing great, and you leave here in a little bit thinking, we're struggling. That's okay. That's a good thing. We believe that January 14th, not because it's going to be the most amazing message, we believe January 14th is going to be the first step in some of you getting healthy for the first time in your relationship. Um, so we're expecting God to do that. We're going to do that all through one word. It's the word cherish. I don't know if you can see this book, but this is a great book, and it's centered on marriage, but it works. So I'm going to preach. Um, there's not going to be much scripture on screen today. I don't think there's going to be any scripture on screen. I just want to have a conversation with you that comes from scripture's definition of love, 1 Corinthians 13, love is always patient, love is kind, of what love should, love should show up in relationships, coworker relationships, family relationships, marriages, all of the above. Love should show up in those things. And this word is such a beautiful word. Sometimes uh, you'll see the word love translated as cherish in the Bible. That's the word. And it's meant so much to me, and this book has meant a lot to me on this. Um, but I want to just unpack, because I can say, hey, cherish your spouse or cherish your friendships, and you're going to take that a hundred different ways. I want us to be on the same page of what what this is, uh, first service was a young lady who's uh, engaged in our church, and, and she came up and complimented the message, and then she said, man, I wish, I wish you'd have preached that four years ago, before I was engaged. I was like, I don't know, right? Here's, here's my theology, because I've done weddings. The second before we go out on the stage, if you're not feeling it, run. Like, that's okay, right? If you're engaged, you're not hitched yet. You're not legally, not in the eyes of God. Like, it's always, if, if, if anyway, maybe you need to hear this. Um, I, my, my kids are in this service, so if there's something that you hear about marriage that makes you think, hey, I might be called to singleness, right, that's a good thing. I'm doing my job, right? I got three kids, two boys and a girl. I'm pretty sure the girl's called to singleness. Um, I don't know. Cherish. First, first way we can understand it is to hold something dear, right? If you're a young person in this room and you're not in dating relationships, you're in friendships, man, you're a great friend if you learned how to, do your friends feel like you hold them dear? It's friendships, it's it, your coworkers. Like we need Christians in the workplace whose coworkers think, yeah, they really cherish me. They, they, they hold me dear. It's such a beautiful description of what 1 Corinthians 13 says love is. Um, and here's something this book helped me with, and man, it, it, it shed some light on some things in my own heart. If, um, if you think that to preach about marriage, you got it all together in your own marriage, and, and you're, you haven't been around us very long. Um, listening is one of the ways we hold people dear, and I'm trying to become a better listener. I don't go out to the lobby because I'm so easily distracted and I see people, maybe they haven't been here in a while or I know they're going through something and I'm thinking about that while you're talking to me and I'm not listening to you because I'm thinking about them. Are they leaving? I need to talk to them and I'm just, a, so I stay in here and there was a beautiful story of something God was doing in this dude's life I talked to between services. 
And uh, I saw some people coming up trying to talk to me like three times. And I was like, I'm not looking at them. I'm not looking at them because I'm going to all in on this guy, just preach that. So with my wife, sometimes my wife who's in this service, and I'm, I'm not saying anything. I didn't say anything at 9 o'clock because I'm not saying at 11. I didn't tailor the message because I knew you were going to be in here. Um, but sometimes she'll start a story with, I know you probably don't care about this, but. And she's usually right. But what I've learned and cherish, if I hold her dear, it's, it's nothing about what she's telling me about. It's completely about who's telling me the story. If it's valuable enough to her to t want to tell me, that's enough. If you hold someone dear, friend, if, if, if you're placed as a missionary, which I believe you are in your workplace, then how you, how you listen is a huge part of hold, holding something and someone dear. Um, when we talk about marriage specifics, we want to do this for marriage because I've had so many conversations. I've seen marriages make it through unbelievable things. And I've seen marriages not make it. And it breaks my heart when I hear a husband or a wife because we're always going to go to counseling. That's going to be part of the conversation. If you're a healthy marriage, you need counseling. If you're not a healthy marriage, you need counseling. We all need counseling. And I've heard so many times one of the spouses say, yeah, we're arguing. Part of our issue is finances, and we can't afford counseling. Right? If you say you can't afford counseling, that communicates that it's not very, your marriage isn't very dear to you, right? So we've had some tough times in our house uh, with uh, vehicles. Uh, my oldest son uh, was hit. wasn't his fault right out here on 401 a few months ago. Everybody's fine. Um, but it was, it was so offensive when, because it was just, it didn't look like a lot of damage to the vehicle when the insurance company called and said, yeah, it, we're going to, it's a total loss. We're going to salvage that car. I was like, but it still runs. You know what they're saying? The insurance is saying the cost it would take to repair that vehicle is more than what the car is worth. And that, was, that hurt my feelings, right? But that's what we're saying when we don't want to do the work on our marriage. We're saying the cost of going to counseling, the physical cost or the cost to my pride is higher than the, well, how much I value this relationship. And just practically, I'm thinking of one dude, don't ask me who, I'm thinking of one dude 2018-2019, well, I just, we don't have the money to go to counseling right now. We're, we got some resources that we can help people in that situation. That dude in 2024, that dude's going to pay more in child support and alimony than all of us. He could pay for the whole church to go to counseling forever because he didn't want to pay for it five years ago. Does that make sense? Right? How, how special, if you hold something dear, then you do whatever it takes. You find the money, you spend the money, you quit drinking Starbucks. Whatever you got to do, all right? Starbucks is more expensive than counseling. If you hold something dear, then your decisions, your words, that's cherish is a deeper word than just, oh, you're special. No, it's, it's showing that something is valuable to you. Second, showcase. There's a whole chapter in this book called The Only Man or Woman in the World. And it's, it's funny because it talks about Adam going to sleep for his little nap and waking up and there being a woman there, right? You imagine that, man, you've never seen or heard of a woman and there she is, naked. It's a pretty good day for Adam, right? And to him, it wasn't, well, she's, she's not quite like so-and-so down the street. There was literally no other woman in the world. And, that, and same for Eve. When she met Adam, there was no comparison of any other man. 
And that is a, is a foundation for what Christian marriage is supposed to be. If you're married or if you're going to be married, your spouse is supposed to feel like they're the only man or the only woman in the world. You showcase them. You don't compare them. And we got to get, we got to get in some stuff. Can we do that? We got to talk about how some of this has been preached through the years. Um, because we can, and I want to pass a law. I don't have the ability to do that, but we're a non-denominational church, which means there is no denomination. If there was, we'd pass this law. There's a, I want you to go study this on your own. Ephesians 5 talks about husbands and wives. Verse 22 says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I want to pass a law that you can never quote Ephesians 5.22 without quoting 5.21 and 5.25. What comes before and after it, you have to connect it because that, that verse can be so harshly abused in the church of, hey, women, submit, right? That is not okay. The verse before it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a mutual submission, right? Our culture is hell-bent on making the gender, genders identical and the same. They want to say there's no difference in male and female. The genders were created differently, not better. There is no ranking. There is no male or female as far as worth or closeness to God, but God created males and females differently. And that's not a bad thing, but we're not going to just randomly quote wives should submit without talking about there's a mutual submission in marriage and then also with getting to what God commanded of the husband. Because later in that paragraph, it says, husbands, you are to love your wives just as, that's the filter, if you're a Christian man, Christian husband, you're to love your wife just as Christ loved the church. That is a sacrificial, what did Jesus do for the church? Everything. He gave his very life. He became our sin. That's what Jesus did for the church. So the bride of Christ. And that's, that's, the, that's the filter and the lens. If you're going to be a husband one day, man, you're supposed to love a woman with the put it other first self-sacrifice at what level? The level of Jesus for the church. And I just, I grew up in a great church. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, say bad things about the church I grew up in. I'm thankful for it. But it was, a, it was a people that believed the Bible, the whole Bible. And every time, you remember those things? We don't own this building, so we don't do these. Remember those things, uh, fellowship meals? You guys have those? There was always good food, right? A hundred percent, maybe it's just my church, a hundred percent of the people serving the food were, they were all women, right? Men set up the chairs, women served the food, and that was normal, right? That's, that's not the spirit of Ephesians 5. There should have been some men somewhere like, hey, we're, we're going to love not just our wives, but we're going to set the example that Jesus set in his love for the church, Right? And I don't think that's a bad example because we don't have fellowship meals. We don't struggle with that. Here's a more modern-day issue of men. I've heard it so many times. Talking about their marriage, bad-mouthing their wife and saying, using words like rights and needs. I have rights. I have needs. And she has a responsibility to meet my needs and to what about my rights. The problem with that is Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, wasn't talking about his rights and his needs. He's, he put all those down in order to serve us, his church. And that is the picture the scripture gives us of what a Christian man is supposed to do in showcasing 
his wife. It's a high, high bar. And we need to embrace it. And when we, you know, I would say this, man, if, if you feel like your wife's got a problem doing her part, I guarantee you it's connected with you not doing your part. It is amazing. When we love our wives the way that Christ loved the church, it's amazing all the things that that solves. It doesn't solve everything, but it, it is the core. It is the foundation of that whole paragraph. That's where it starts. Not just showcase our spouses or our friends, but love protects. That's even in 1 Corinthians 13. Love always trusts, always protects. I told this story when we were at the theater, but 92% of you were not there, so you haven't heard this. When I was in my 20s as a husband, I thought protection went, meant, you know, physical protection. So me and my wife had this argument. Um, we had a, one of those glass doors with a little, um, you just flip the little thing to lock the glass door, and we had a deadbolt door behind it. So my job was to lock the door at night. No big deal. And she said, lock the glass door too. I was like, okay. But then sometimes, because I'm just going to lock the deadbolt. Did she lock the glass door? No. Why? I said, why would I? I locked the deadbolt. She's like, well, just it's better. I was like, how is it better? Like, let's think through this. Burglar comes. Oh, this glass door that you could break with a penny. Oh, I'm going to go to the next house because they lock both doors. And, and she's like, it's not, it just makes me feel safer. And I'm like, well, that's silly. That wasn't a great response. I didn't, I didn't understand that we're going to agree and disagree, and, and God's not looking at us saying, she's right, you're wrong, or you're right, she's wrong. He's looking and saying, I want her to feel the protection and love of a father through how I love her and talk through even situations like a lock on a door. And it don't limit it to physical protection. When God says love always protects, he's talking about emotional spiritual, financial, sexual, it's all types of protecting. And it's not just man to woman, it's woman to man. Wives, you need to protect your husbands. There's a lot of ways to do that. And you can have a conversation. We need protected from ourselves sometimes, right? We need affirmation sometimes. There's all kinds of things that we need you to protect us from. And we gotta protect ourselves from some things. The best thing you can do to protect your spouse is to be seeking Jesus. As Jesus transforms you and changes you, you become a better whatever, friend, roommate, whatever you are. You become better at that as you allow Jesus to, to transform you. And you also have to run from some things. Uh, you guys that know my story, I, I don't run from it. I was a pastor addicted to pornography in my 20s, and nobody knew. And I hit it just so we know. This used to be, back in the day, this was something we talked to guys about. We know from stats that it's not a male problem. It is just as much a female problem in 2024 that it is a male problem. And if you would like to cherish in a, in a romantic relationship, listen to, it's not, it's not a barrier. Porn's not a barrier. It is impossible. Man, you cannot cherish a woman as God called you to if you're looking at other naked women and vice versa. You just, it makes it not more difficult, it makes it impossible. To cherish. That's one of the ways we protect each other is protecting our own heart from all kinds of things. I struggled with this message. Um, that's why I'm holding the mic because it just makes me feel better. Um, I struggled with this message. I was talking to a different guy in the church this week, and I was telling him I was struggling a little, a little bit. And he said, why? I said, I just, I would like to preach this message when my marriage is like off the charts doing just amazing, wonderful. And I said, right now, to be honest, coming off 2023, my marriage is not ideal. And his response, married man, he said, is anybody's marriage ideal? 
And if you think about the word that I chose, ideal, it means perfect. Ideal is perfection. Is anybody's marriage in this room perfect? If it is, then let's trade places right now. I'll sit, you finish this out. I don't think two imperfect humans can have a perfect marriage. So it's been 27 years this July that we've been married, and most of those years, I tell people I've been, I've had 25 great years of marriage, but I've been married almost 27. Um, there's been some, been some hard years in our history, and I haven't ranked them, but if I did rank the best years and the hardest years of our marriage, 2023 was, if not the top, one of the hardest years of our marriage. Um, most of that coming off my stroke, but really, this stuff on the screen, like that, that doesn't work if you're selfish. You can't cherish another human being in a friendship, in a working environment, or in a dating environment. Or in a, You cannot cherish in that way that the scripture that talks about it. You can't do that and be selfish. They don't coexist. And I would tell you that I'm less selfish than most of you. Like, I know some of you. I'm not as bad as some of y'all. But what 2023 exposed is, as we recovered together as a family from a stroke is there's a I'm not nearly as in tune with my wife's heart that I would like to think I am and was. And 2023 exposed that. And that's part of my job is to be in tune with her heart. But that, that doesn't happen from living in the same house. It doesn't happen because you're in ministry serving God. It is effort and intention that allows you to be. Are you in tune? If you're married and sitting beside your spouse right now, are you, are you in tune with like going back to the beginning, if you're going to make 2024 the best year ever from your spouse's perspective and you sat down with them tonight and say, what would that look like for this to be the best year ever? If their answer would be, like, oh, wow, I never thought of that. Like, you're just not in tune. Now, let me be clear. David and Kelly Jones are okay. We are not falling apart. I know how some of you love drama. You take this, hey, pastor, man, I can't believe it. He's, they're falling. We're not falling apart. We had a hard year, right? We had... Uh, November of 22, um, 3.30 in the morning, um, I'm slurring my speech and can't get to the bathroom, and Kelly um, thought very quickly and was part of saving my life and called the ambulance and walked me through just months where I didn't know what was what, um, and that was scary on a level for her that I'll probably never understand, and and it, it's not, I can't blame it on the stroke. Some of my issues of learning to be this kind of husband existed before my stroke and God has just highlighted some ways that I'm not looking at her through the lens of holding her dear showcasing her and protecting her to the level that God would want me to so there's some growth in me in that why am I telling you that right uh, several reasons I can't I just I can't do it I tried to do it this week I can't preach about marriage and sit up here and act like you know I'm killing it I just can't two things that I always hear repeatedly about why people uh, come to our church and we're growing it's fun after the pandemic it's fun to be a growing church again and the two things I hear from new people the most often are multi-ethnic it's just they've not seen this exist at their previous experience most of us have never been part of a multi-ethnic church before relentless so this is not just another weekend we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day tomorrow we celebrate it this whole weekend and what we celebrate is the proof that one man can make an enormous difference, and we believe that one multi-ethnic church can make a tremendous difference. It was Martin Luther King, look it up on Google, 1960 Meet the Press, when he said, 
11 a.m. He said 11 a.m. Isn't that funny? Some people say 10, but his quote is 11 a.m. That is the most segregated hour in America, and that was 64 years ago. And that's still true, but it's not true in here, not today. Right? So we're believing one church can make a difference. So I hear multi-ethnic. The other thing I hear repeatedly is people aren't used to a pastor talking about a porn addiction, and they, they appreciate our transparency. So how could I be anything but uh, transparent as we're talking about um, marriage? So we're never going to celebrate issues. We were talking in the back with some of the worship team. There's a lot of issues. On the people that helped lead you in worship today, there's a lot of issues. We're never going to celebrate, woo, we got issues. We're struggling. Isn't that awesome? We're going str- to celebrate a gospel that creates an environment where you don't have to hide your struggle. That's what we're going to celebrate. But we're also going to give some help because we got churches that are, and again, I love churches. We don't have it all perfect. We got churches that are falling on both sides of the spectrum. We got some, and maybe you've been to one, but you cannot act like you don't have it all together, right? If you, somebody asks you how you're doing, the answer better be good. Praise the Lord. He's so good. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? And then we got other churches that they celebrate struggle and sin to the point nobody ever gets better. Are you struggling? Yeah, me too. I guess we'll just keep struggling until Jesus comes back. Can you do anything to help? No, I'm struggling too. We're just sick, and let's just all be sick together. Where we want to be a church where we have an environment where we know everybody doesn't have it together, and we know you're not going to go through this life without struggling and having issues, but also we got a Jesus that can help us. If your marriage is sick today, it doesn't have to be sick this time next year. We can help. Right? It's a teamwork, right? That's why my kids drives me cra- drives them crazy when I got stuff on my mouth because they're just trying to be seeing you, I'm seeing it, right, it's a, we need, we need each other, um, and let me give you an example of the struggle in my marriage, and then we're going to call it a day, um, God gave me this, uh, God didn't give me this, I created this, Tuesday, you guys remember Tuesday, big storm came through, let me give you some background with my wife and I, when we first were married, we were driving in a storm on somewhere, I don't remember where, and she, um, she said, why don't you pull over? I was like, why? She's like, because it's raining really hard. And I was thinking, if I pull over, it's still going to be raining really hard. She's like, she's the type, I love her, she's the type, you see those cars in storms that are under the bridge? They pull over under the bridge? That's what, that's what she does and would prefer I do. And I was just, that was an issue early in our marriage. It's like, we can drive in the rain. We can do this. So Tuesday. Huge storm coming in, right? They shut down school. They canceled our basketball games because, oh, my goodness, the thunderstorm of all thunderstorms was coming. Lots of rain and wind. Ooh. So I worked. The power was on. No big deal. I'm leaving. She calls me. And she said, where are you going? I said, I've got a couple places to go real quick, errands. She's like, David, no, there's a storm. I'm watching the news. They're telling people to stay home. Well, I'm already out. I'm just going to run here real quick, and then I'll be home. And I hate to say this, honey, but I got her permission. You know what she said? She said, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Call me ugly. Don't call me dumb. I was like, what do you mean the dumbest thing? I was like, I'm in it. I'm right here. Like, it's fine. It's nothing. She's like, I'm watching the news. I'm watching the news, and I'm like, yeah, the news makes money by scaring people. They're never going to tell you. It's a little wind, it's a little rain, it'll be fine. They're going to say, stay tuned. We don't know. Tornado watch means nobody's seen one yet. Could there be one? Yes. Where's the safest place to be? In a car. That's where I was. So it wasn't a, no, it's not true. 
some of you women, like, you're just giving me looks right now. So that was our conversation, and it ended uh, abruptly. And I wanted to, I, I wanted to read this right. So, uh, like, two minutes later, as I'm on my way to my errand, it wasn't a big deal. I got, uh, I got a text from my youngest son, my 16-year-old, and he said, you should probably come home. And then 30 seconds later, he said, mom isn't too happy. And I always, I always get my kids permission to tell these stories. So I, I asked him last night, make sure I could say that. And he said, yeah, just make sure they know I wasn't scared of the storm. I was scared for you. He knew I'd be okay. But so after those texts, because Kelly's not one to like get the kids to text. I mean, she didn't put him on that. He was just sincerely worried, which I thought. All right, I probably need to go home. And I did, eventually. Um, and then we had, you know, you walk into that, you kind of, you know, you've been there, you know, is the argument coming? And, and we've been talking about, you know, these words. And she's like, protect, I don't think you get it. And I was like, I do get it. If you were in the car with me, I'd have come straight home, right? But I was by myself. I can, I'm 47 years old, I can take care of myself. I was fine. How am I protecting you? by driving home instead of coming to the storm. And she was like, really, did you just say that? And it took me days to put together. My kids have had two what could have been horrific car accidents in the last 18 months. I had a stroke and that changed her and she is extra sensitive to horrific things. And has there ever been an accident in the rain? Yes, there has. Was she way out, as far out there as I want you to think? No, she wasn't. And it doesn't matter if she was right or wrong. What matters is that was an easy one. That was a gimme. I'm coming home because you're worried and you're my spouse and I'm here to protect you. That was an easy one and I whipped hard, all right? Not 10 years ago. That was Tuesday. I'm a work in progress. And I, I thank you, church, for allowing me to tell you the real stories like that. And I thank my wife for allowing me to preach about our marriage arguments from stage. And I've got a lot to learn on this if you need help. We're, we're just praying you, you take a step. I really believe some of you's marriage is going to be different because of one of these things I'm going to give you. Here's, here's something you can do. You can come to a small group. We're going to do a marriage small group, which we've never done. Tuesday night, starting February 6th. We have only announced this one time. We have never in the history of our church seen so many people sign up so quick. We haven't had to beg or give you a deadline. So many people, just based on the title of the series, which I think is The Art of Marriage, so many people need help. And that's okay. That's good. You need help from, you need a dialogue. You need some other people in a small group that can help. Maybe they're further along than you. And my goodness, if you're, if you've been married 30 years plus, I don't want to put myself in the group, but we've got some folks in this room that have been married a long time. We need you at Relentless Church. Not that you're supposed to have it all figured out, but you have walked through what we're about to walk through. Part of what's hard in our marriage right now is a time that I've been looking forward to for 15 years, I thought. But we got two kids graduating 24 high school. We got one kid graduating 2025. So in 18 months, we're going to be a house of two because I'm not counting the dogs. It's just going to be my wife and I. And there's some, that's, some of you have been through that. You know how to do that. We just need people that have been through different seasons to help people that haven't. Some of you, some of our couples that are having their first kid, young kids, that's, you don't know what you don't know. So we desperately want to give you we, maybe you're thinking, man, I've been married 62 years. I don't need a small group. You do. We want this to be your best year ever, and there's probably somebody sitting at your table that could really use some of your wisdom 
about what God's walked you through. So, um, and if you're not married, you can come. It's for single people. It's for anybody who wants to come. There's also going to be an online small group for people that don't want anything to do with relationships. So there's an option. All that's coming in February. The other thing is that we want to introduce is a retreat. We've never done a small group on marriage. We've never done a marriage retreat. So we're doing both this year. Uh, it's a marriage retreat that's coming to Raleigh. Um, it's called A Weekend to Remember. Some of our, our people, our leaders, have been saying we should go to this for years. And then the pandemic hit, and now it's going to be in Raleigh in October. Um, it's, it's free for pastors. That's my favorite thing about it. I've never been, but people that I trust, some of our elders have been and vouch for it. Um, if you're military, current, um, or past, there's a huge discount. And they're doing a 50% off till January 22nd, and the price goes up. So I'm telling you this today, you've got eight days. It's a weekend in October. They want you to, like, stay at the hotel, but we live close enough. I told them first service, we can drive, and then they, somebody told me they really want you to stay and, like, separate from life. So whatever on that. But do something, right? Maybe it's get this cherished book and, and read it with your spouse. Maybe it's get in on the small group. We'd love to have you. Maybe it's do a retreat. If it's something dear to you, your family, your marriage, your relationship, then, then put the work in. Get some help. There's some people in this church that can help you. There's a God who loves you and wants to, to help you. Father, I just pray that we wouldn't be able to leave. God, maybe there'd be some folks in this room that just sit there when we dismiss here in a second. They just sit there and, and go online and fill out a form and, and commit to the small group or commit to the retreat. Or God, you... You know what that is. For some of our single folks, God, I pray that this would be a church where they're uplifted, where they're honored for their commitment to you and whatever that looks like in, in this season of life. So I just pray your blessing on relationships, friendships, and specifically, God, marriages, that we would learn to cherish our spouse in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.